Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast presented by our good friends at Skytrack. This is digital editor Al Lunsford with Lynx. We've got a great episode for you today. Our editor, George Pepper, is back. He talks about his winter 2022 column in our first issue of the year. George talks a little bit about the idea of crowdsourcing and how websites like Kickstarter are funding some of the wackiest golf ideas and inventions that are out there. If you do a search on kickstarter.com and look up golf, You can see for yourself, there's some 800 ideas that are out there floating around waiting to be funded at some level by a community of golf peers. George took a deep dive into how all of that works. Really interesting conversation. He also tells the tale of his worst golf weather experience, which is our teed up topic of the week this week. As George does so well, he paints the perfect picture, gives a great description of his most harrowing weather experience on the golf course. It's a really fun conversation with George. Before we get into that, we're going to give you our reader answers to that topic. And thanks again. You guys are just awesome. This was a really fun topic to read the answers from, particularly because it involved telling a story. And everyone remembers these types of rounds that happen. And golf being an outdoor sport, you are almost certain to have a day that isn't bright and sunny and perfect for golf. So thank you again for submitting your answers. Just as a reminder, we share some of those answers in our Sunday newsletter, Links Insider. If you don't get it, go to our website, linksmagazine.com, click the Get Our Newsletters link, enter your email, and you'll be signed up to start receiving straight to your inbox our newsletters, which come three times a week, Monday, Friday, and Sunday. And we have a new topic every week. So let's get into some of those answers. Bear with me as I narrate our readers' experiences. So the question again, what is your worst golf weather experience? Stephen R., we'll start with you. Ireland, rained or poured every round at Waterville, Ballybunion, Lahinch, Tralee, and Doombeg. That is quite the itinerary, Stephen. We asked our caddy at Lahinch during 20 straight minutes of a sideways downpour, how do you guys play in this weather? He wryly replied, as only an Irish caddy can do, we don't. Jack T, this might require some research because Jack T says, my worst golf weather experience wasn't while playing golf, but caddying. The Saturday round of the 1983 Masters was miserable. Wind, heavy rains, a saturated course. It was an impossible task keeping the grips dry, let alone spare towels and gloves. My most challenging day as a caddy by far. Jack, if you're listening Write in. I would love to hear more about that story, who you were caddying for, and that memorable 83 Masters for you. Tim S., as a lot of these stories tend to do, they pertain to rounds in the British Isles where playing in inclement weather is kind of a regularity and expected on a trip like this. But Tim says, 
I made the turn at Nairn and Port New after a great front nine, which is straight out with back nine returning to the clubhouse. Top of the hill on number 10 allows a full view of the North Sea, and the black clouds started coming our way. My SC-approved rain gear, unlike my Irish golf partner's Galvin Green Gore-Tex, was no match for the driving cold rain and hail. We huddled behind a stretch of green plastic fencing erected to protect a patch of local vegetation before a break allowed a few more holes than round two of rain and hail. We did finish soaked to the bone. Of 11 rounds we played in 10 days, walking and carrying all the way, it was the only unkind Irish weather. Pat P., back to the States, played golf in Cleveland, Ohio in Westlake, it was kind of cold, maybe 45 degrees, and we were on the back nine. It started snowing and sleeting at the same time. Definitely the worst weather I've ever experienced on a golf course. I think for this, a lot of the weather you're going to play in, typically you're looking to see if it's going to be a good day, and you might not even play if there's bad weather on the forecast. But sometimes you just grin and bear it. We all want to be out there playing. It's better than the alternative. This was kind of an interesting one in the in the fact that it involves a tournament um, that this gentleman played in, which tournament golf, you don't really have a choice if, if you're locked in, then everybody's got to play in the same weather. But KCA writes the 2000 U.S. Open sectional qualifier at Canoe Brook in New Jersey. Low 50s, 20 miles an hour, gusting winds, and close to three inches of rain. We had to finish 36 holes because the Pro-Am for the Westchester Open was the next day, and the PGA Tour professionals had to show up for that. There were three rain delays in this 36-hole slog through the wind and the rain, and every inch of every player was soaked and freezing cold. A few years later, I met Craig Stadler at the PGA Merchandise Show, and I asked him what was the worst weather he ever played in, and with no prompting, he immediately said, the U.S. Open qualifier at Canoe Brook. Worse than any Open Championship by far. That's a good one. Thanks, Casey, for that response. All right, I'll read a few more. Kevin S. says, In the early 1990s, I played Pebble Beach in hard rain and wind gusts up to 60 miles an hour. We couldn't believe they didn't close the course. I hit four iron into hole number seven, which, if you know that hole, it's maybe 100 yards. No one can believe me when I tell them that. I've played in Scotland, Ireland, Portugal, and everywhere in the U.S., and never experienced anything like that. Weather like that is going to make a bucket list round even more memorable. Thanks, Kevin, for sharing. I'm sure a lot of you listening can probably relate to rounds at Bandon Dunes being a little bit blistery. Uh, So let's read one from John Q. My second trip to Bandon Dunes along with seven first-timers. Woke up in second floor room of first morning of play and looked out the window at both the American flag and the rain blowing hard and horizontal. First one's off at 7.15 a.m. and 45-ish degrees and heavy rain. On the third hole, we went back to our other group and said getting on the green was an automatic two-putt as greens were flooding, so lots of bets. Hitting drivers into a par three, 140-yard hole, and barely getting there. Finished round one, changed clothes, had lunch, and went out for round two which was about 20% better weather than the AM round. But we finished both rounds, and after a big dinner, everyone was exhausted, and calling it a night by 9 p.m. 
We showed up to repeat it again the second day, and the caddies told us the day before we were the only ones to finish the morning round and the only ones to go out that afternoon. We still talk about it eight years later, one of my top ten golf experiences. And by the way, on day four, we could have played in shorts. Like John says, if you've been to Bandon, you know he's right. The weather can change dramatically day to day. You just never really know what you're going to get. And lastly, from Charles E., in 2007, I had the pleasure to revisit Royal Dornick and other Highland courses in Scotland. My partner and I started out attired in Bermudas and short sleeve shirts, uncommon for September. During the course of the round, we were met with sunshine, then rain, then hail, and finally snow showers. We packed it in at Foxy, the 14th hole, as we ran out of warm clothing. All right, thanks again to everyone who responded. Now, without further ado, Let's get to our conversation with Lynx editor George Pepper. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm joined today by George Pepper, our editor. He's back on the podcast to grace you with his presence. George, I hope you're doing well. Hello, hello. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you've been up to in recent memory? I'm working on a little centennial book for a club called Gulfstream Golf Club down in Delray Beach, Florida, and that's keeping me busy, probably busier than I need to be, and uh, trying to get back into the game of golf, fighting my bucky back, but uh, hope springs eternal, so weather's getting pretty good here in Charleston, I'm itching to get out there. All right, well, I hope you can do that. Uh, today, we are going to talk about uh, the winter issue of Lynx is now out and in homes, and those columns start to roll in online as well, uh, as we disseminate the the writing from our issue on our digital platform linksmagazine.com george your column in the winter issue uh was one of great intrigue you know for me i had always heard about kickstarter and and crowdsourcing campaigns it's it's kind of something you see every now and then on the internet something gets funded some sort of wacky idea but i never really looked too far into it other than just knowing surface level what it is uh but looks like you did some digging about in particular kickstarter campaigns on the game of golf can you tell us a little bit about what inspired this idea yeah i had sort of the same experience as you did i kind of heard of these campaigns uh i had been a member of a club a few years ago uh, john's island where they had the mid amateur and this kid sammy schmitz had won the mid amateur and gotten himself a place in the masters but he was a guy with not a whole lot of money. And the club got together uh, in, on uh, GoFundMe, another one of these crowdsourcing things, and raised, I don't know how many thousand dollars for him in a very, very short time. And he was able to go practice Augusta National and do that and all that sort of thing. And so that was kind of my introduction to the whole world of, of crowdfunding. And then, um, a few months ago, one of my daughters-in-law uh, had some success on Kickstarter, uh, starting a little company. So I think, yeah, this kind of intrigued me, and I got on there. 
And lo and behold, what I found was like 200 different opportunities for people to throw their money at uh, golf products and services. I mean, there was everything from very brilliant ideas to some pretty bird brain ones. And so I, I, I did some checking around and, and Kickstarter is very open about uh, their uh, success. They're, they're like McDonald's. They used to count the number of billions of burgers. So they tell you at least a couple of months ago, they were boasting that since 2009, they'd raised more than $6 billion in support of over 200,000 successful uh, projects. Now, you know, that sounded uh, pretty impressive, but less obvious on their uh, website is the fact that uh, something like 60% of these campaigns fail to reach their goals. And they're fairly modest goals. The uh, fact is uh, the most you can ask for on, on Kickstarter is uh, $15,000. And the most any one investor, one of us, anybody who clicks on and looks at these, uh, can put into it is uh, $10,000. So uh, this is not a big, big deal. And as I said, most of them fail. I look and they're very overt about uh, telling you the ones they, they're called uh, funding unsuccessful or FU, which I think is an, an appropriate <laughs> shortening of it. And I looked at some of the ones that were funding uh, unsuccessful and they included the erotic cat, cat calendar. These are just not, these are not golf. These are just general ones. Uh, air, an indoor drone to protect your home. And another one for a business called the Drunk O'Clock News. So not surprisingly, those did not get off the ground. But as I said, there are something like uh, 200 uh, ideas out there to be uh, looked at in the golf world. Now, the, as I said, the good news is it's not going to cost you more than $10,000 to get in an underground floor with one of these things. Bad news is, even if you uh, hit pay dirt on one of these, and one of these things made $20 million. There was an idea for a, a smart watch on Kickstart that got $20 million worth of funding and became a great success until some competitor put them out, <laughs> out of business. But even, even if you become the $10,000 investor on something that becomes golf's version of Google, you're not gonna get a cent back. Why? Because that's the Kickstarter policy. They don't allow you to actually take equity positions. They don't pay out in cash at all. Instead, where they give uh, it, it, the entrepreneurs give out what they call rewards to their patrons, which is a range of goodies and perks uh, that are kind of commensurate with how much you give them. Everything from hats and T-shirts to uh, beta versions of their product to some of them give you expense tri paid trips to the factory to have meet and greets with the inventors and whatnot. I think there was one golf guy who promised to fly to the home course and caddy for anyone who contributed at least $2,500 to an, his idea. So the whole treat here is more uh, experiential uh, than, than financial. So anyway, I, I started looking at some of these and uh, you know there were some good ideas and some crazy ones. That, and they, they boiled down into like a half dozen different uh, areas. The probably the most, uh, the fullest one was was games, and I found something over fifty ideas for golf games. I mean, board games, card games, dice games, drinking games, uh, blueprints for indoor and outdoor golf games, and over half of these related, oddly enough, to the game's biggest derivative, and that's disc golf. 
which is really, really isn't golf, but they lump it in under golf here. And there was even a pitch for a high performance disc golf shoe. And I forget where that one ended up, but I don't think it was going too far at the time I checked. Uh, the second area was gadgets. And not surprisingly, the biggest category there was uh, golf tees. And they had everything from one which was pretty cool. I thought it was called a smart claw, which is if you can imagine a lobster claw that digs into the ground sort of counterclockwise toward you. And is that counterclockwise? Away from you, sorry. And uh, it really grips into the ground better than your normal tee. And then there was a whimsical set of three tees uh, featuring the bust of Donald Trump. His red tie sticks into the ground, which makes it a very long tee. And you hit the ball off his hair. And that was doing fairly well last I checked. Um, apparel. There were some items of apparel, but mostly gloves, including one. And, and all the, the, these entrepreneurs write their own copy, and some of them are better than others. But one of them, uh, these golf gloves, build itself incredibly as, quote, the last golf glove you'll ever want. I couldn't quite figure that one out. <laughs> There's one called uh, Caddy Slacks, which is kind of golf's version of, of cargo pants and promises to simplify the game by providing easy access to the six tools you most use on every hole. And I, I had some trouble imagining six tools I needed on every golf hole I played. But then I saw, I went further into the copy and they said tees, ball, cell phone, scorecard, Walmart and glove, and each of which has a handy dandy pocket or docking station on these pants and shorts. And I think that I think that was doing fairly well too. Uh, the uh, kind of the fourth category was film ideas, movie ideas. Oddly enough, and there are a lot of would-be um, producers and directors out there. Um, a few of them are clearly people who are trying to get free uh, their vacations covered. You know come watch me play golf in Tahiti, that type of thing. There were also a couple from uh, caddies who uh, clearly thought they were hilarious and a few from serious people. The soundest one was called Founders. And it was a film about the ladies who uh, started the LPGA back in 1950. Uh, sadly, that hadn't gotten much packing when I checked. And the weirdest one uh, was called, quote, Our Longest Drive, colon, Four buddies drive to the Arctic to play golf. One of them is dead. I don't know. Uh, weekend at Bernie's with meets, uh, I don't know, something in the Arctic. <laughs> so that wasn't, that wasn't doing too well, as I checked. Um, now, the last one I saw was, uh, or next to last, was Inventions. And this one had actually one good product called eWheels, which is out on the market now. It's a device that uh, clips to the bottom of your push cart and converts it instantly into electric, an electric cart. And you can operate it with remote control. And it's, uh, it's really quite simple. It's just a couple of, looks like the bottom of an old push lawnmower. And you clip your, uh, your own push cart on it and it becomes electrified. Uh, and then there was this clown who had something called the drutter. And he described it as the most startling and amazing invention of golf. A sturdy slingshot on top of a telescopic shaft to shoot the golf ball forward from tees and fairways. And a putter head at the bottom 
open to putt when you reach the greens. Now, can you imagine that? I mean, this guy is shown holding it and it looks, it's just as cockamamie as it sounds. Incredibly, at that point, he had 247 backers, uh, but I haven't seen one on a golf course near me yet. So uh, I, I'm not expecting that to go a long way. And uh, the last one was uh, publications. And uh, there were at least a dozen ideas for books and magazines and sound very much like would-be competitors from Lynx Magazine. So um, that's what I saw out there. They also had the list of uh, losers uh, of the 800 products in golf that, uh, that have been attempted at Kickstarter. More than 500 failed. And uh, to show you why, a couple of these include... Uh, one called Golf Guardian, a regulation side golf balls made with cremated ashes. How did that happen? Uh, then there was another one, the Chronicles of the Green Mile Club, tales of erotic sexual encounters on golf courses. Uh, that didn't go anywhere either. And, and surely the most fitting FU of them all, a golf tee that is an anatomically correct replication of the bone of one's middle finger. So there, ladies and gentlemen, is what's out there or what was out there a couple of months ago. By now, there are surely a few dozen more ideas, both good and bad. So I'd recommend anyone with an idle hour during winter weeks and months to check out kickstarter.com. If, if not to have a wee flutter, uh, at least to maybe help someone out with a good idea or at the very least to have a couple of laughs. Yeah, I, I just... I looked before we started our call um, to see, and and you go to Kickstarter, you search the word golf, and like you said, there's some 800 results that come up of all different categories, and um, some of them are just golf adjacent. Like you said, disc golf is actually a popular um, idea forum on there, and you know, if any, if nothing else, it seemed like a great place to find your next gag gift for a, uh, some sort of dinner party. That's right. um, plenty of ideas that are things that, you know, zany enough you've never heard of, but, uh, a lot of them have actually successfully been funded. George, would you, out of all the ideas you looked at and, or any that you mentioned in here, is there anything that you would get uh, that thing I mentioned, the e-wheels, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It attaches right onto the golf bag and makes it into a, a push cart, basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, they motorized push cart. Yeah. Oh, so it it pushes it for you, the whole deal. What it does, it takes, it takes the push cart you have, and it, it's some sort of contraption that makes the wheels go. Oh, I see. Now, George, you mentioned at the beginning of your piece about the the different golfers that have gone into their own ventures and that being kind of the idea uh leading into the kickstarter idea have you dabbled much in the the products of anyone from whether or not it's a one of the pros selling their wines or, or like you said rory mcelroy has gotten very into various products and facilities and ideas things like that have you have you had much experience with a pro's product of any kind? Not directly like that. In fact, the other, other reason I got into this, and I wasn't going to mention it, 
uh, because it gives a plug for my son. But now that you're making me do it, Al, I'll bring it up. <laughs> my uh, younger son has gotten into a startup, uh, an internet uh, you know, startup. Uh, so he's a software engineer. And it's a little company called Woosh, W-O-W-H-O-O-S-H. And they're getting into the business of tea time booking uh, software for clubs. Uh, beginning with tea time booking, it's going to hopefully expand from there. And I became aware of Rory's uh, company through him in, in, in as much as Rory had taken a look at getting into that. And had, uh, since, he, since he was involved in that area already, they decided against it. But a couple of people from the golf business have become part of my son Scott's uh, company's funding. And uh, that's how I learned, learned about, I said, geez, Rory McElroy's making all these investments. And they, yeah, they rattled off all these things he was involved with. And then I happened to see an article on the same thing. And I guess, you know, these guys with eight, nine, figures net worth are happy to uh, put their money where their mirth is, <laughs> where the, you know, in the game that made their lives and made them who they are. So I said, yeah, wouldn't it be nice if we could all do that? And then I thought, well, maybe we can here with Kickstarter. So we at least can have some fun. Well, best of luck to your son and his idea. Thank you. Yeah, it's going well so far. Fingers crossed. He had a good uh, PGA show last month, so they're off and running. Yeah, that's, I would immediately thought of the PGA show too, and how you would probably see a booth for a lot of these products. Let's move towards the, the topic of the week that we're going to talk about on this podcast. Wanted to get your thoughts as well, George. Uh, I, I prepped you with this topic to give you uh, some time to think, but we proposed this question in a recent newsletter about what your worst golf weather experience was. And now it occurred to me that it's something that, you know, most of the time when you're going to play golf, you're planning it to be in decent weather. I think you would look at the weather before you, you make a tee time. So those rounds where you really are playing through something nasty or kind of few and far between or occur on some sort of golf trip that you're on, things like that. But we still got some very entertaining thoughts from our readers uh, so wanted to see if you had any anything that stuck out in memory over the years uh, where you just played through something that you wouldn't normally yeah. do. Well, you know, I lived in Scotland for, for almost eight years and you get your share of weather there. And there were several days where golf ball blew off the tee and you couldn't stop it on the green and it even blew around in bunkers. But the one that stands out to me was in Scotland, not at St. Andrews. Um, but I had a friend back in those days, his name was Peter Workman. He's since passed away. And he was president of Workman Publishing in New York, which had published a couple of my books. Uh, one of them was on the world's 500 golf holes, another one called True Links on the links courses of the world. And it was no coincidence that Workman was the publisher of those books because Peter was an absolute golf nut. And coincidentally, he was a roommate of none other than Mike Kaiser of Bandon Dunes and much other fame. Um, anyway, every summer, Peter went on a golf trip with a couple of his friends and a couple guys from France he would meet. And in, in this case, he was going to the West Coast, and I agreed to meet up with him uh, for a day at Makrahanish. Now, I can't remember what time of year it was, but it, it wasn't summer because it was a little chilly. And we met the night before 
around and had dinner at a uh, B&B across the street from the course. And next morning we woke some of the worst conditions I've ever seen. I mean, heavy winds and rain. It was a day that no one plays golf, but this was the only day we were there. Like it is, if it's Tuesday, this must be Belgium. So after uh, a long breakfast, we decided, well, what the heck? And we put on several layers of clothing and waddled over to the pro shop Whereupon, incredibly, we found that we weren't the only guys playing golf. In front of us was a four ball from Sweden. And I guess they figured it was no worse than a, a good day in Stockholm. So those guys went out there and uh, they beat it around. Um, I don't remember much about the round. I think it was actually pretty nice for a few holes. But then the wind and rain really ratcheted up. And... I began to wonder not just whether we'd finish, but whether we could physically make it back to the clubhouse. I mean, walking, whether it was into a 50 mile breeze or against it was very difficult. And, and when the rain's coming at you sideways and cold, it actually hurts your face. And so there was a point somewhere, I think in the middle of the back nine, I think it was a par five, when things were at their absolute worst. And I was forced to seek the only shelter I could find, which was this pot bunker, this little fairway bunker. And I just hunkered down there in there. I saw Peter and shouted at him against the wind and kind of waved my hands, said, come on over here. And he, he made his way over. And the two of us hunkered down in this tiny bunker, like a pair of GIs from World War One. And we must have been there between 15 and 30 minutes uh, until things it eased up. It was, it, it was surely the most intimate bonding experience I've ever had with a guy on a golf course. Anyway, we made it in and uh, we dried off and uh, repaired to the pub across the street where we each had a double Macallan scotch and one of the best cheeseburgers I've ever had in the UK. You don't get good burgers over there. It's, it's great. And, and by the time we were done, naturally the sun was shining and Peter looked out the window and then he looked at me and he said, you want to try it again? And we held each other's eyes for a moment. And then simultaneously, we looked at each other and just shook our heads. And Peter said, nah, let's just have another McAllen instead. So <laughs> that was my worst day, but a fun day nonetheless. So you hid out in a pot bunker and did you finish the initial round or did you just? Yeah, we crawled out. Yeah, we crawled out later. And it was, and then after that, it eased off. The, the horribleness only lasted, I would say, about an hour. And a half hour of that was spent in the bunker. <laughs> wow. I, were you, was it actually serving as pretty decent cover at that point? Or were you still getting yeah, the wind melted? Was from, you know, it was coming from the other direction. And we had a big high front face. And, you know, we had our, uh, our rain suits on. So uh, it was, yeah, that was, it was reasonable. We, I, I had the feeling we were going to make it back alive. Hmm. Well, mine isn't nearly as, as perilous, I would say. Um, I was racking my brain too. And then you kind of alluded to it. The other scenario is if you, if you have an opportunity to go out and play a course that you can't say no to, uh, no matter what the forecast looks like, if, it, if the opportunity is there, you, you just kind of go for it. So late summer of last year, um, Jack Purcell and I, had the the chance to he's a member at secession we had the chance to go play secession and it was one of those where it's where yeah it was in the forecast that 
something could pop up on the back side based on our tea time uh, late afternoon, uh, late summer round. So just a, a summer thunderstorm roll through. Um, decided to go for it and it was reasonably good weather. So uh, at secession, you take caddies. We're thinking we don't want to make the caddy lug around a bunch of rain gear if it is not going to rain. And you know, if it's really that bad, we'll just go in and it's it's no big deal either way. And we get to about the 13th hole when you start to to see from from a distance, basically over the ocean and sound in the distance, it's black. And you you see it coming in, you start to feel it, it drops degree by degree. It's the wind starts to pick up. So everything you're feeling is indicating that you should not be on the golf course anymore. But we had already played 14 holes at, at, at that point where, you know, we can do this. We, we can make it in. Uh, suffice it to say, it was 20 degrees colder by the time we got to 17, that island green par three, wind directly in our face. So it's about a 100-yard hole we're hitting six seven and six iron into um and i've never uh, to this day i've never hit the green on the 17th at secession i i don't think i ever will either at this point the mental block is completely there and you know we ended up finishing but it was we were soaked to the bone we never thought for a second to try to get the rain gear or anything like that so it, it just you you just force yourself to get through with it so you can make it to that clubhouse at secession and, and have a nice um a nice cocktail and sandwich and and then again watch watch the weather slowly get better and better as you're just sitting there having been yeah. yeah yeah total total bonding experience um so there, there it is. There you have it. I haven't really played in the, you know, gale force winds and things like that, but I've had some still cruddy times. Yeah. It'll get worse. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for the conversation, George. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. My, my pleasure too. Thanks.